Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States opinion in Pactel versus San Francisco on petition for writ of certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, decided June 28, 2021. This one's a per curiam. It's seven pages, so it's a little long, but we'll just go ahead and read it. If you'd like to support the podcast, find a PayPal link in the show notes, please. Uh, when a plaintiff alleges a regulatory taking in violation of the Fifth Amendment, a federal court should not consider the claim before the government has reached a final decision. That's uh, Chichuam versus Tahoe Regional Planning Agency. After all, until the government makes up its mind, a court will be hard-pressed to determine whether the plaintiff has suffered a constitutional violation. See um, Horn versus Department of Agricultural. In the decision below, however, the Ninth Circuit required petitioners to show not only that the San Francisco Department of Public Works had firmly rejected their request for a property law exemption, which they did show, but also that they had complied with the agency's administrative procedures for seeking relief. Because the latter requirement is at odds with the settled rule that exhaustion of state remedies is not a prerequisite to an action under section, or 42 U.S.C. section 1983, that's uh, Kinnick versus Township of Scott. We vacate and remand. Petitioners are a married couple who partially own a multi-unit residential building in San Francisco. When petitioners purchased their interest in the property, the building was organized as a tenancy in common. Under that kind of arrangement, all owners technically have the right to possess and use the entire property. But in practice, often contract among themselves to divide the premises into individual residences. Owners also frequently seek to convert tenancy and common interests into modern condominium-style arrangements, which allow individual ownership of certain parts of the building. When petitioners purchased their interest in the property, for example, they signed a contract with the other owners to take all available steps to pursue such a conversion. Until 2013, the odds of conversion were slim because San Francisco employed a lottery system that accepted only 200 applications per year. When that approach resulted in a predicate backlog, however, the city adopted a new program that allowed owners to seek conversion subject to a filing fee and several conditions. One of these was that non-occupant owners who rented out their units had to offer their tenants a lifetime lease. Although petitioners had a rental renter living in their unit, they and their co-owners sought conversion. As part of the process, they agreed that they would offer a lifetime lease to their tenant. The city then approved the conversion. But a few months later, petitioners requested that the city either excuse them from executing the lifetime lease or compensate them for the lease. The city refused both requests, informing petitioners that failure to execute the lifetime lease violated the program and could result in an enforcement action. Petitioners sued in federal court under Section 1983. Among other things, they alleged that the lifetime lease requirement was an unconstitutional regulatory taking, but the district court rejected this claim without reaching the merits. Instead, it relied on this court's since-disavowed prudential rule that certain takings actions are not ripe for federal resolution until the plaintiff seeks compensation through the procedures the state has provided for doing so. 
It's uh, Williamson County Regional Planning Commission versus Hamilton Bank of Johnson City. Because petitioners had not first brought a state court inverse condemnation proceeding, the district court dismissed their claims. While petitioners' appeal was pending before the Ninth Circuit, this court repudiated Williamson County's requirement that a plaintiff must seek compensation in state court. See uh, Kinnick. We explained that the Fifth Amendment right to full compensation arises at the time of the taking, and that the availability of any particular compensation remedy, such as an inverse condemnation claim under state law, cannot infringe or restrict the property owner's federal constitutional claim. Any other approach, we reason, would conflict with the general rule that plaintiffs may bring constitutional claims under Section 1983 without first bringing any sort of state lawsuit. Rather than remand petitioners' claims in light of Kinnick, a divided panel of the Ninth Circuit simply affirmed, noting that Kinnick left untouched Williamson County's alternative holding that plaintiffs may challenge only final government decisions. That's a Kinnick. The panel concluded that petitioners' regulatory takings claim remained unripe because they never obtained a final decision regarding the application of lifetime lease requirement to their unit. Although the city had twice denied their request for the exemption, and in fact the relevant agency could no longer grant relief, the panel reasoned that this decision was not truly final, because petitioners had made a belated request for an exemption at the end of the administrative process instead of timely seeking one through the prescribed procedures. Um, Explaining that petitioners waited six months after they had obtained final approval of their conversion and seven months after they had committed to offering a lifetime lease. In other words, a conclusive decision is not really final if the plaintiff did not give the agency the opportunity to exercise its flexibility or discretion in reaching the decision. Judge B dissented, explaining that the finality requirement looks only to whether the initial decision-maker has arrived at a definitive position on the issue. In his view, an additional demand that plaintiffs follow the decision-maker's administrative procedures would risk establishing an exhaustion requirement for Section 1983 takings claims, something the law does not allow. And when the Ninth Circuit declined to rehear the case in bank, Judge Collins dissented along the same lines. He expressed concerns that the panel's unprecedented unprecedented decision sharply departed from settled law and directly contravened Kinnick by imposing an impermissible exhaustion requirement. We, too, think that the Ninth Circuit's view of finality is incorrect. The finality requirement is relatively modest. All a plaintiff must show is that there is no question about how the regulations at issue apply to the particular land in question. That's a pseudium. In this case, there is no question about the city's position. Petitioners must execute the lifetime lease or face an enforcement action and there is no question that the government's definitive position on the issue has inflicted an actual concrete injury of requiring the petitioners to choose between surrendering possession of their property or facing the wrath of the government. It's um, Williamson County. The rationales for the finality requirement underscore that nothing more than de facto finality is is necessary. This requirement ensures that a plaintiff has actually been 
injured by the government's action and is not prematurely suing over a hypothetical harm. That's a horn. Along the same lines, because a plaintiff who asserts a regulatory taking must prove that the government regulation has gone too far, the court must first know how far the regulation goes. That's uh, McDonald, Summer, and Freights versus Yolo County. Once the government is committed to a position, however, these potential ambiguities evaporate, and the dispute is ripe for judicial resolution. The Ninth Circuit's contrary approach, that a conclusive decision is not final unless the plaintiff also complied with administrative process in obtaining that decision, is inconsistent with the ordinary operation of civil rights suits. Petitioners brought their takings claim under Section 1983, which guarantees a federal form of claims of unconstitutional treatment at the hands of state officials, which guarantees a federal forum for claims of unconstitutional treatment at the hands of state officials. That's uh, Kinnick. That guarantee includes the settled rule that exhaustion of state remedies is not a prerequisite to an action under Section 1983. In fact, one of the reasons Kinnick gave for rejecting Williamson County's state compensation requirement is that this rule had effectively established an exhaustion requirement for Section 1983 takings, takings claims. The Ninth Circuit's demand that a plaintiff seek an exemption through the prescribed state procedures plainly requires exhaustion. In fact, this rule mirrors our administrative exhaustion doctrine, which provides that no one is entitled to judicial relief for a supposed or threatened injury until the prescribed administrative remedy has been exhausted. That's uh, Woodford versus No. As we have often explained, this doctrine requires proper exhaustion, that is, compliance with an agency's deadlines and other critical procedural rules. Otherwise, parties who would prefer to proceed directly to federal court might fail to raise their grievances in a timely fashion and thus deprive the agency of a fair and full opportunity to adjudicate their claims. Or, in the words of the Ninth Circuit below, parties might make an end run by setting, setting on their hands until every applicable deadline has expired before lodging a token exemption request that they know the relevant agency can no longer grant. Whatever policy virtues this doctrine might have administrative exhaustion of state whatever policy virtues this doctrine might have, administrative exhaustion of state remedies is not a prerequisite for takings claim when the government has reached a conclusive position. Kinnick again. To be sure, we have indicated that a plaintiff's failure to properly admit, pursue administrative procedures may render a claim unripe if avenues still remain for the government to clarify or change its decision. See, for example, Williamson County again. The commission's refusal to approve the preliminary plat leaves open the possibility that the plaintiff may develop the subdivision according to the plat after obtaining the variances. And uh, Kinnick, the developer in Williamson County, still had an opportunity to seek a variance from the appeals board. Uh, C.F. Palazzo versus Rhode Island, dismissing accusations that the plaintiff was employing a hide-the-ball strategy when submission of a proposal would not have clarified the extent of development permitted, which is the inquiry required under our ripeness decisions. But, contrary to the Ninth Circuit's view, 
administrative missteps do not defeat ripeness once the government has adopted its final position. See Williamson County, distinguishing its finality requirement from traditional administrative exhaustion. It may very well be, as Judge B observed, that misconduct during the administrative process is relevant to evaluating the merits of the claim or the measure of damages. Um, for the limited purpose of ripeness, however, ordinary finality is sufficient. Of course, Congress always has the option of imposing a strict administrative exhaustion requirement, just as it has done for certain civil rights claims filed by prisoners. See 42 U.S.C. Section 1997-E, parent A, um, also no, and uh, before 1980, prisoners asserting constitutional claims had no obligation to exhaust administrative remedies. But it has not done so for takings plaintiffs. Given that the Fifth Amendment enjoys full-fledged constitutional status, the Ninth Circuit had no basis to relegate the petitioner's claim to the status of a poor relation among the provisions of the Bill of Rights. That's Kinnick. For the foregoing reasons, we grant the petition for a writ of certiorari vacate the judgment of the Ninth Circuit, and remand the case for proceedings consistent with this opinion. It is so ordered. And again, that was a uh, per curiam. If you'd like to support the podcast, I can be reached at rhodesscholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S, like the truck driving roads, and the number 80 at uh, gmail. You can find a PayPal link in the show notes, or find me on Patreon.